where we're going to be talking today about spiritual as well as physical protection for our children, because this is one of the biggest fears, as you all know, that seems to torment so many parents. Now, we hear horror stories from well-meaning people that they'll pass on some you know, bad news that they hear that happened to some child. That's one of the enemy's biggest tricks, to, to put fear in, in the parents. One of the biggest fears of so many Christian parents is that their children won't go on with God. So they're panicked over that. Well, sadly, few parents seem to realize that God has given us, as parents, He's given us the choice to see that our children will follow God. And that's a shock to a lot of parents. They don't realize that that's their responsibility. Now, the good news is that God has an answer for every need. He has an answer for every fear that would ever come to us concerning our children. The more I started studying this, I thought, Lord, you You've already taken care of every bit of this. And God's Word works whether our children are out on their own or whether they're still living at home. Of course, it's God's plan for parents to start doing these things now the moment that the child is conceived. God wants us to start that before that child is even in the world because it's His will for every parent now to see to it that their children go on with God. And He wants us to start now. Now, our children have been entrusted to us by God, not just for our enjoyment. Now, we... Parents are so proud of those children, but it's not just for our enjoyment, but it's for us to decree and establish their spiritual destiny. That's what God has for us. And every parent makes that choice, whether he realizes it or not. Therefore, it's so important not to make a negative choice by, by default. And a lot of parents are doing that. And they do that by simply failing to do what God has commissioned them as parents to do. Now, most parents who make negative choices for their children, it's simply because they don't realize that they've been given the responsibility. That's their responsibility to see that their children go on with God. That's our, our spiritual responsibility. And it's an abomination to be complacent, and put it off, thinking, okay, we'll do it later. Or else some people just don't even know that they have that authority. Okay, that's why Hosea 4.6 tells us that there's two reasons now why we're destroyed. From lack of knowledge, of course, that we as parents have the spiritual responsibility to see that our, our children go on with God, or the rejection of that knowledge. Now, I'm not saying that a child can't overturn the negative decision of a parent, because some parents are going to choose negatively, and a child can overcome that by choosing the right path for himself. But God's plan now is for the parents to recognize that, that it's a privilege. It's a privilege that He's given us that we can make that decision for them, because God's Word tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, the promise is that he will not depart from it. But we need to, need to ask ourselves, do I believe that? Do I really believe that when God tells me that I can train him up so that he'll go in the way he should go and not depart from it, I've got to believe that and put it into practice. That is the responsibility of every parent. Now, before we move into the lesson, I just want to address one important situation that I see in so many families. When these promises appear not to be working in what seems like you know a long time, I see a lot of parents because become devastated and they just kind of throw in the towel and give up. Every parent needs to realize that it's not over. It doesn't matter how bad the situation looks. If he will just hang in there and determine that I'm here, I'm the parent, God has given me a responsibility, and I'm going to do it God's way, and it's going to work no matter how long it takes. Now, eventually, that victory is going to come if we as parents decide that we're going to be obedient. We're going to hang in there no matter how long it takes. Now, on some occasions, I've seen the final victory not manifest until the 
the deathbed. But it's going to come if we don't give up on these promises of God. And I'm going to be reminding you of some of these promises because these are promises from the God of the universe. He created us. He created our children. And he's made some promises to us that will work if we'll just grab hold of them and determine, Lord, I'm not turning this loose. Now, what I'm going to be sharing from the Word, it's a parent's God-given assurance that if he'll be obedient to do it God's way, and if he'll refuse to give up on these promises, he can, he can de- determine the outcome of his children. Now, God makes un- it unquestionably clear in this next verse that he has placed his anointing on the fact that the child's destiny is in the hands of the parent and the grandparents. And I remember the first time I saw that, I got so excited. But Deuteronomy 30, 19, and everybody needs to mark this in their Bible because this is a wonderful promise from God. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. I've set before you blessing and cursing. And he says, so he's talking to the parents. He says, so choose life that you and your descendants might live. Okay, this is up to us. God's saying that this is for us and it's for our descendants. And he's telling us the choice is ours. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time because sometimes we read through these uh, scriptures and we don't really take them in and realize God means this. He's letting us know that he has placed heaven and earth to witness against us. And God says, I've set it before you. I've set life and death before you. I've set the blessing and the cursing. And he said, choose life. And when you do, it will bring life to not only you, but to your descendants. Now, man has already fallen. Therefore, man already has death only and the curse. But God in his mercy, now he's provided man with a choice. He's given us a choice. In place of the curse and in place of death, God has now made it possible for us to choose life and choose blessing. I mean, God is so good. He's so good to us. And when man chooses life, if he'll just believe for it, he's not only going to be receiving the blessing for himself, but he's receiving it also for his descendants. We're not choosing it just for us. And I want you to notice the next thing God says. The next thing he says is, so choose life. He's telling us. The choice is so important to God that he's very plainly telling us what choice to make. And notice again, it's almost as though he's begging us. It's like, so choose life. It's almost like God's pleading so that you and your descendants can live. Deuteronomy 30, 19. We need to memorize that. We need to say that often for our children and our grandchildren. And I want you to notice who witnesses the choice that we make. God says, I've called heaven and earth to witness what choice you're going to decide decide to make. He has, not only earth is witnessing, but he has heaven witnessing. Okay, Hebrews 1.14 says that the angels are ministering spirits that are sent out to render service or help to those who are going to inherit salvation. Okay, think what that's telling us. The moment that we make the choice of life and blessing for us and for our descendants, then the good angels immediately begin rendering service to our children and to our children's children. That should give us a lot of encouragement. And not only does heaven and earth witness the choice that we make, But also we've got to realize that Satan and his demons witness the choice. Because when we make a wrong choice or when we don't make a choice, period, it's an open door to the enemy. And that's exactly what he's waiting for. Now, again, the scripture is telling us that we can choose not only for ourselves, but it's a promise that we can choose for our children. And the truth, this truth is reiterated all through the word of God. So you need to mark this scripture down. 
However, to throw us off course, I want you to notice what the world is saying. <laughs> I mean, uh, the world's always going to have something to try to get us away from the truth of God's Word. The world is always saying, you just never know what these kids are going to do. You just don't know. They're going to they're gonna disappoint you, different than it was when it, back in my day and time. I hear older people say that all the time. And they'll go on to say, you know, no one knows what they're going to do now. You never can guess or tell what the, how they're going to turn out. And we've bought that garbage. We've bought that garbage until even Christians now get into the fear of not knowing which way their children are going to go. But the Word of God never tells us that we can't know. The Word of God never tells us that our children are, are not going to make the right decisions because eventually God is saying, if you hang in there and if you do this right, He said, it's going to work because God is not going to give us the choice of life and death. He's not going to give us the choice of blessing and cursing over our children and even tell us which one to choose without giving us the ability and the power to see that it works out right. I mean, God's so good, He's given us the answer, and, and He said, now choose it, and, and it will work out. Now, it's certainly not God when we get into anxiety, and we're not sure which way our children are going to go. And I hear so many parents worry about this. They're constantly worrying. But God is telling us to choose life and blessing for them. Therefore, it's time for us to have our mind renewed and believe what the Word of God says. He's given us that choice. And when we find a promise in the Word of God, we can have it if we'll, if we'll receive it and if we're willing to fight for it. Sometimes we have to fight for these promises. But there's so many Scripture promises that back this up. Now, Genesis 7 verse 1, and I'm going to give you some of these because I want you to see that it's all through the Word of God. It says, The Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone— you need to circle that word. You alone I have seen to be righteous before me. Now, there's no indication that these sons were right with God at this time. No indication at all. And because God had said, you alone I've seen to be righteous. Now, we're not talking about small children here. We're not talking about kids that were still living at home. These were grown married men. Yet Noah had the promise, and because he was faithful and because he hung in there, his whole household was spared from the flood. Okay, now this is a type and shadow showing us that our choice of righteous living now, when we, when we make God the most important thing in our lives, it's going to bring our children under His protection. But we have to believe for it. That's something we have to reach out and receive. And that's why parents need to be taught this, because so many parents don't know that it's their choice. And this principle now, it's not spoken of in just one or two isolated cases. When I started studying through the Word, I was shocked, because this secret for the ones who put these principles to work now, it becomes an inheritance. This is our inheritance. And we're not just talking about spiritual safety here. We're also talking about physical safety. We're talking about both physical and spiritual. Okay, later you can look up Joshua 2 verse 1. Now, this is an example of someone who probably didn't even have children, and yet she stood in the gap for her entire extended family. Joshua had sent two of his men as spies, and he told them, go spy out the land. And he said, especially Jericho. And so they came to the house of Rahab the harlot. Now, this was no accident that they ended up in her house because in verse 10, Rahab starts telling the spies how she and her people had heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Red Sea so that they could pass over. She said, we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. And then she told these spies how their hearts had just melted with fear. She said, when we heard these things, we, we were just terrified. So what she was doing, she was declaring that the Lord God Jehovah now was the true God in heaven. 
And she was saying he's the God of heaven above, but he's also the God of earth beneath. And so then she said, please swear to me by the Lord, since I've dealt kindly with you, that you will deal kindly with me and my father's household. See, she didn't just ask for herself, but she said, I want this for for my household, my entire household. And she said, I want you to give me a pledge. Basically, she was saying, I want you to promise me that you will spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that belong to me. In other words, she was crying out for her extended family. She evidently had a pretty big extended family. So the spy said, when we come back into the land, if you will tie tie a card of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down, and if you'll gather all these of your family into the household, all your brothers, all your sisters, all your family's household, then it shall come about that they shall be protected. Okay, we're now able to spiritually pray and bring our families under God's protection with our words, with what we're saying and what we're believing. Now, the scarlet thread was a type and shadow of the blood of Jesus. And after the cross, the way we now appropriate the blood of Jesus is what we say with our mouth and believe in our heart. And that's the formula. If we say it with our mouth and believe in our heart. Now, we confess now that we have a blood covering of Jesus over us and over our family. And where the blood is, the Bible says, the destroyer cannot come. Okay, now, if they had that protection under the old covenant, I can promise how much more we're going to have that under our new and better covenant. You know, we see all these miracles in the Old Testament, but we don't realize we have it better under our new covenant if we'll take it and appropriate it. Now, what Rahab did for the protection of her extended family is a very powerful precedence in Scripture for the protection of our family today. We need to take that and grab hold of it. Now, as she submitted herself to the one true God, it became her privilege to stand in the gap for her whole family. We're not just talking about for herself, but for her whole family. And how much more protection do we have now under our new and better covenant? We have to keep reminded ourselves, it's wonderful what we see that they had, but we've got it even better. Now, if if you're not doing this for your family, then you need to study these biblical examples until something about it just becomes a reality on the inside of you, where all of a sudden it just it just comes alive to you. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing. So what you hear, if you'll put that to work, these scriptures then will... Uh, they'll be yours. So look and see what these are saying to you. If you see something happening in some member of your family that tends to contradict the word and makes it appear like it's not working, don't get discouraged and say, oh my goodness, it just didn't work. Be ready to throw in the towel. No, that's when we need to stand stronger than ever and use our scriptures and say, Lord, I'm not laying these promises down. Now, Acts 16, verse 31 Paul and Silas were in prison. They were singing praises to the Lord, you know, even though they were all bound up. But an earthquake comes and it shook their bonds loose. And the jailer, thinking, of course, that they're long gone now, he's getting ready to kill himself when Paul and Silas stop him. And the first sentence the jailer asked was, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't asking for his family. He was just asking for himself. What can I do to be saved, you know? And they said, if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your entire household. So they don't stop where the jailer stopped. They, they said, hey, this is for you, and it can be for your entire household, and all of you can be saved if you'll just hear what we're saying, if you'll do what we're trying to tell you to do. Now, Acts 11, verse 2, Cornelius sent for Peter to come and share the gospel. And the Bible says that it became salvation for him and for his entire household. 
Now, earlier, when Deuteronomy 30, 19 told us to choose life and blessing, and he said, if you'll do it, it'll be a blessing not only for you, but it'll also be for your descendants. Now, when we keep reading, we find out that verse 20 tells us how to choose life. He tells us you choose it by holding fast to him, talking about holding fast to Jesus, and by obeying him. Okay, I mean, God's not telling us some horrible big things that we have to do. He said, just hold fast to Jesus and and just obey. Just do what he tells you to do. Now, we find one confirmation after another that shows us that when a person sells out to God and when we hold fast to him, when he's the most important thing to us, it also becomes an inheritance now for our children if, if we'll believe for it. It's not automatic. We've got to believe for it. Now, this doesn't mean that salvation is not an individual decision. That's not what I'm saying. It's just letting us know that our choice to go with God, our choice to walk in His promises, puts our descendants in a position to be drawn in by the power of God. When we start believing for it, then God starts drawing our, our, our children, our grandchildren in. You know, God gets involved if we're just determined to stand and believe for it. Now, our submission to God to stand on the promises literally holds our children and our grandchildren in a place of decision. They may not know it, but when we're doing it right, God gets them to a place where they're in a place of decision and he gives them extra protection from the enemy before they ever even make their decision. Now, God once spoke to me and he says, there are no what ifs and no others in Christ. And I want you to hear what God was saying. In In other words, we are not to dwell on any of the enemies. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if if you did this and and it still didn't work? God says there are no what ifs in him. If we're trusting him, there are no what ifs. And I remember when God told me that, I sat there and thought about that for so long. And then he went on to say, and there are no others. In other words, so many times we look at what's going on in somebody else's life. And, you know, maybe they're telling you that the word didn't work or it looks like that word didn't work. But you know what? We don't know all the circumstances. And when God says there's no what ifs and there's no others, then that means we don't know what's going on there. God just says you choose it and it will work in your life. We can't look at what's going on in another person's life because we don't know all the details there. Now, Deuteronomy 28, verse 41 is one of my favorite scriptures. That the reason I'm just giving one scripture after another because I want you to see that this truth is all through the Word of God. Deuteronomy 28, 41, you need to turn it around and we'll quote it in the positive because it's listed here in Deuteronomy as 28 as a curse. But we have to remember that Galatians 3, 13 tells us that we're under a new covenant and we've been redeemed from the curse. Therefore, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can quote these now as promises. Under the curse, it reads, you'll have sons and daughters, but they'll not be yours, for they'll go into the captivity of the enemy. That can be shouting ground. God, we're under new and better covenant. Of course, the captivity of the enemy is rebellion and alcoholism and drugs and illicit sex and all the the evil things we see going on in the world. But when we realize that Galatians 3.13 has told us that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse, then every curse here is reversed. You can turn every one of these curses around. So turn them around and see that they can now become a blessing under our new covenant. God is so good. After Christ took it on his own body on the cross, now everything's different. We have things now available to us that uh, we we need to be just shouting every day when we see what Christ has done for us. So begin to quote over your children, I have sons and daughters 
and they will be mine now under a new covenant. Now in Jesus' name, they're not going to go into the captivity of the enemy. Now in Jesus' name, they're not going to go into rebellion. They're not going to go into alcoholism. They're not going to go into the things of the world because in Jesus, every curse is reversed. But we have to take that now and believe it and start confessing it. When we believe it in our heart, confess it with our mouth, we'll start seeing it come to pass in our family. Psalm 112, verse 7, I will not fear evil tidings because my heart is steadfast, trusting in you, Lord. So as we begin to confess that every day, pretty soon it'll come alive in our heart. Then it's not something we're having to make ourselves believe. It's something that we're, we're just shouting. We're excited. And the time will come when the telephone will ring in the middle of the night and we're going to be able to say, Lord, I'm not going to fear bad news because my heart is steadfast, trusting in you. Most people are so fearful when the phone rings in the middle of the night. We don't have to be afraid. We, we need to say, God, I'm trusting in you. If it's bad news, you're going to turn that bad news around. Now, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to hear bad news. But God says, whose report are you going to believe? We need to ask ourselves, okay, whose report am I going to believe? Because it is a choice. God's giving us a choice. Now, Hebrews 9.22 in the Amplified Bible, it tells us that God will remove the sin He'll remove the guilt, and he'll remove the consequences when we truly repent. Think about that. What a promise, you know. When we repent, he, God is telling us the slate is wiped clean. How much more clearly could it have been said? The sin is removed, you know, as though it never happened. Okay, the sin's gone. Therefore, there is absolutely no more reason to, to have to feel guilty. If the sin's gone, if it's been removed, there's nothing there then to bring in the consequences. And so many people are still living under the torment of old past sins. Now, yes, if they haven't repented, they, they need to worry about it. But if they've repented, it's been wiped away. You know, he's removed the sin, the guilt, and the consequences. And even some people that I know, they know that the sin has been forgiven, but they still live under the guilt. And they've got to come to a place where they say, no, God, you didn't just remove the sin, but you remove, and you didn't just remove the consequences. You've removed that guilt. I don't have to live under that guilt anymore. You have cleansed me. John 20, verse 23, if you forgive the sins of anyone, the sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they, they'll be retained. Okay, the choice is ours. He's given us this choice. We can forgive a sin, and he says the sin is forgiven, it's removed. And Jesus said this, it's in John. So think about that. What a promise he's given to us. Job 22, 23 and 28 tells us if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. You will also decree a thing and it will be established for you. There's another promise. I'm giving you promise after promise because I want you to see how many there are of them in the Bible. We don't have to just depend on one or two. Okay, do you hear what this is telling us? When we come to God, we can be restored and we can actually pronounce a verdict and make a judgment and it will be established. We need to say that over and over until we realize what this is telling us. Therefore, we need to decree that our children will repent and turn to God and live for Him. That's what we need to decree. God is actually telling us to decree the fact that our children are going to forever go with God. But we have a choice. We can believe that and confess it and bring it into being. And, but if we'll believe for it, they're going to be protected and they can live the life that God's called them to live. Job, you know, everybody thinks about Job, you know, all the horrible things that happened there. But Job 22 verse 30 tells us that God will deliver a person who's not innocent 
And that person can be delivered through the cleanliness of your hands when you decide to stand for it. When I read that, I thought, Lord, something we have to believe for. But when we live for God, it not only is salvation for us, but it's also the restoration and deliverance for the one that we're praying for because of the cleanliness of our hands when we've repented. And we're falling so short of what God has promised. We've fallen so short of the promises. In Mark 11, 22 and 24, Jesus answered saying, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they shall be granted. Do you see how many scriptures God has given us over and over, promise after promise? So what are we praying and asking for our children? We need to ask ourselves based on this promise. Now, this verse tells us that if we believe, we can receive these things, that these things will be granted. What promise, you know? But I have to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself, do I believe it enough to be able to receive this promise and act on it? See, there's going to be plenty of times when it looks as though these promises are not working, especially to parents. They'll see their children doing things that, you know, that just kind of makes them cringe. And they have to decide, am I going to go by what I see happening or am I going to grab these promises of God and hang in there and just say, God, I'm not turning this loose. These are promises from the God of the universe and I'm not turning them loose. So we have to ask ourselves, am I going to throw in the towel? When I see something that doesn't look good, you know, and just say it didn't work? Or am I going to stand firm in my faith until I call it into being? And we believe it in our heart and we say it with our mouth. So we call it into being. Now, only those who stand in faith will receive. Now, we're told to believe that we have already received what we've asked for. And it says, then it'll be granted. So we need to ask for a faith picture to hang on to. When Angela was just a young child, She went through something where she was afraid to leave home. And we even took her out of school for a while. And she she would stay home, and she was always trying to see where I was located in the house. One day, God gave me a faith picture, and I saw her running, and the wind was blowing, and her hair was blowing back, and she had this big smile on her face, and it just sparked something in my heart. And I knew that I knew that I knew she was going to be okay. And she got perfectly okay. And one day I was watching and I saw that very picture. She was running and the wind was blowing her hair back and she had this big smile on her face. So when God gives us a faith picture, it's he's giving us a preview of something that's going to happen if we'll just grab hold of it and believe it. Don't ever say what I've uh, heard some parents say. Well, I just don't think it's right for me to make this choice for my children. And I've heard parents say that. You know, uh, it's their decision, they'll go ahead and say. And so I'm just going to wait and show them uh, the right way, and they'll make their own choice. They'll make their own decision. Listen, it's the enemy's tactic to keep us from walking in the God-given right and responsibility that he's given to us as Christian parents. He's given uh, us the, the power and the ability to see to it that our children go right. But we've got, to, we've got to take it. We've got to be the one to put it into practice. And we're going to be held re- accountable if we don't take advantage of our rights as parents to claim these children for God. These are our rights. But if we don't claim our rights, if we don't walk in them, our children will be the one that suffer because it's not just our right, but it's our God-given responsibility. It's our duty. 
That's one of our duties as a parent. Now, when a person believes that he's not responsible for seeing that his children make the right decision, he is choosing whether he realizes it or not. He's choosing negatively by default. And that kind of thinking doesn't line up with the Word of God. Okay, we need to confess just exactly like Joshua did in Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, he didn't say, I'm going to wait around and see what my kids are going to do. No, he's making that choice for them because he has that right as a parent. He didn't say, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to pray that my children, you know, will come around and serve him too. No, as for me and my house, that needs to be something that comes up out of us. As for me and my house, my children are going to be right with us serving God. So he made that choice for his entire family. So we've got to get this responsibility settled down in our hearts because if we don't, we're forfeiting the God-given right that he's given to us as parents. This is our right. Another scripture, 2 Timothy 1.12, the last part of verse 12. Now this scripture is especially meaningful to me out of the King James. I like it out of that particular version. It says, I know the one in whom I believe and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him. Oh, I remember memorizing that as, as a teenager, but I had no idea how important it was going to be to me later on, you know. But God is able to keep our children when we commit them to him and believe this promise. Now, this scripture gives us three very important steps for appropriating this truth for the safety of our family. We need to realize there's, there's three important steps. Step one says, I know the one in whom I believe. We need to circle that word know. Okay, this is referring to a personal relationship that we must have with the Lord where we actually know the one in whom we believe, where we know Jesus personally. Now, there's a lot of people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they've never developed a closeness to Him. They've never gotten to know Him intimately. We need to absolutely make it a top priority that we're going to come into an intimate relationship with the Lord. If we want to keep our family safe, we're going to have to be uh, to know the safekeeper intimately. Okay, now this is important. There must be a solid relationship before we have anything to pass on as an inheritance. If we don't have a solid relationship, we don't have anything to pass on. And so if we don't do it for any other reason, we need to do it for the safety of our children. Okay, step number two is our becoming persuaded, as, as this verse says, that he is able. In other words, we've got to be persuaded inside of ourselves that he can and will do every one of these things that he's promised. We've got to be persuaded of that. And then step three, after we've done step one and step two, then the most natural thing in the world is to commit our family over to him. Just give them to him, you know. Okay, now I'm going to read again 2 Timothy 1.12 because uh, we've gone through the steps, but I want you to hear it again. For I know the one whom I've believed. I know him. And so therefore I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him. I've committed my children and I know he can keep them. See, when we commit our child over to God, he's able to keep that child and make that child his own. He wants those children. When we commit them to him, then they become his. Okay, another scripture, Exodus 29. See how many scriptures God has through the word? And I didn't even touch on all of them. But there's so many, one right after the other, teaching us this truth. And that's why if we don't believe it in one, we just need to see how many there are. Exodus 29, 37. For seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar shall be most holy, and then whatever touches that altar shall become holy. Okay, the altar... Under the new covenant, it's already uh, holy because of the blood of Jesus. 
The blood of Jesus has been placed on it. So I want you to think what this is saying. When we present something on the altar, that means we're giving it to God and it becomes the property of God. So uh, we need to apply this to our children and our grandchildren. When we commit that child to God, he has automatically been set apart for God. So he, he becomes God's property. Therefore, God becomes responsible for him. And God begins to draw that child and draw that child and draw that child. And in the meantime, it may look like that child's going here, there, and yonder. But we need to keep standing and say, no, I've offered that child on the altar. And Lord, I know you're beginning to draw him until he comes to the place where he makes you Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, the Bible doesn't teach infant baptism, but it does teach infant dedication. That's, that's very scriptural. And it's time, uh, it's a time when before God and before witnesses, the parents will symbolically give their child to God. It's a picture that's witnessed in heaven and it's witnessed on earth among people. And in Luke 2, verse 22, God had Mary and Joseph dedicate Jesus when he was eight days old. But if a child's older, and if you didn't do it when he was young, well, it's, it's not too late. Do it now spiritually. <laughs> Put him on the altar. Give him, give him now spiritually. And just as God told Mary and Joseph what to do for Jesus' protection, after that, they knew things to do. For his protection. If we'll trust God, he'll do the same thing for us. He'll give us ideas and tell us exactly what to do for the protection of our child. Because we can't know everything that child's fixing to face, but God knows. And if, if we've given that child to God, then he'll start telling us. We've dedicated him to God. He'll start telling us things to do to maneuver that child out of the enemy's path and into God's pathway. Because they've been, we've dedicated them to him. So no longer is it our responsibility to worry and, and get into our reasoning to find out what to do. You know, I, my reasoning has never taken me the right, down the right path, you know. But if we'll trust him, the Holy Spirit will lead us step by step because our children have been given to him. Once we've given them to him, then, then he does that. He loves doing that. We have dedicated them to God. Therefore, we're not alone in having to decide what they need in order for these promises to come to pass. God will lead us. He'll tell us what they need. We simply need to be obedient and trust God to guide us to bring it to pass. Now, for those of you who have children that are already outside the home, that parent needs to be very much in tune to the Holy Spirit to know what to pray over them now. Uh, some people, they don't know to do this early on. But now the child's out of the home, but the Holy Spirit can tell you exactly how to pray. Daily read your covenant over them. Pray for laborers. Pray for right friends. Pray for the perfect mate. Pray that they'll not get into a, a wrong relationship. They'll not get into a, a wrong marriage. You know. Okay, now there may be times when God uh, impresses you to pray for your child's forgiveness. You'll see them doing something. Woo. Okay, take that John 20, 23. I mean, that is a, a wonderful promise. Keep it right there close to you that if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. Them. And forgive that child and do it in the name of Jesus. And boy, the minute you forgive that child in the name of Jesus, God starts dealing with him. Every time you're giving God permission. Now, what you're going to be doing for the children that are outside your home will mostly be done spiritually. God doesn't call us to nag and, and harass them to do things right. I've, I've seen uh, parents who have children 
that are grown and married, and they're still yipping at them, <laughs> telling them, you know, fussing at them about things that they're doing. But when, when they're outside the home, that's when we come to a place where we pray and we confess and we believe God that He's going to guide them. He's going to direct them. But hopefully now, this is going to be taking place while our children are still in the home. And while they're in the home, there's going to be points of obedience in the physical realm that we're going to have to require as a parent. You know, I have been in the home of parents, and, and they never make their child do anything. They, they never correct their children. And I thought, oh, they have no idea the, the mess that they're causing. And so when our children are still home, there are points of obedience, and God requires that of us as parents to parent those children. And we may make mistakes at times, but it's okay. If our heart's tender, and if we're trusting God and we're obedient, we're listening to God, He'll take even our mistakes. I'm always amazed at how He can take mistakes and somehow turn them around and use them for good. Now, there may be different points of obedience for each individual child. I've noticed uh, somebody can have a, several children, and what works for one child may not work for the other one. That's why we've got to be in tune to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you four points of obedience that's always required of us as parents. Number one, we ourselves must live for God consistently with no hypocrisy in our life. We can't do one thing for our children and then be living in hypocrisy. We're going to have to choose every day that we want to be in obedience and that we'll be quick to repent. We're going to make mistakes. But if we're quick to repent and we determine, I am not going to be in hypocrisy, I'm going to live for you, Lord. God doesn't call us to be overbearing, but He calls us to teach our children to live a godly life consistently but they need to see it in us first. They're going to have to see it there first. Now, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 says, You shall teach your children diligent. Talk of them when you, of the Lord when you're in your house. Talk about when you're walking in the way. Talk, about when you lie, talk to them about it when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, we can read that and we think, oh, we're just supposed to nap, <laughs> nag at them all the time. No, that's not what it's saying. He's not wanting us to force these things down our child's throat. It's simply saying that our love for Jesus and our love for the Word and where we put it first place in our life, it needs to be evident in who we are and in everything we do so that there'll come a time when they'll want it. They may be turned off for a while, but that's okay. Don't nag them. You know, you don't have to do that, but they'll come to a place where they want it. Number two, we're to live in an attitude of gratitude toward God. This is so important for parents to realize. We need to live that in front of our children. We need to be very appreciative for all the things that God has done. And we need to be telling our, maybe not telling our children, just saying constantly, oh God, I'm so appreciative for this and for that. The Bible says that in everything we're to give thanks. And that's why grumbling and nagging and negativity should have absolutely no place in our life because that will turn a child off faster than anything. When our children see us full of gratitude and see us full of appreciation, what it does, it becomes ingrained in their lifestyle that God is a good God. They're understanding that God's a good God because they're hearing how we're saying, how good you are, Lord. And that's what God's wanting us to impart to our children. I have gratitude always flowing through us for all the wonderful things that God has done. You know, we need, every day we need to be thanking God for this and that and all these wonderful things. Number three, don't be afraid to discipline and enforce consistent guidelines while they're at home. Proverbs 22, verse 15, and Proverbs 29, 15 tell us that physical discipline is what drives out rebellion. And the rebellion, it, 
I mean, that'll take a child in the wrong direction. God even gives us an example in 1 Samuel 3.13. God said, I'm about to judge Eli's house forever because of the iniquity which he knew about because his sons had brought a curse on themselves and he never rebuked them. Whoa, that's, that's pretty serious. Yeah. One of the biggest favors we can do for our children is to rid them of bad attitudes. My husband was so adamant that a child should be disciplined for attitude every bit as much as for action. He always said that. We've got to come against the attitude, get that attitude straightened up. And he said, if we get the attitude straightened up, then it won't ever turn into an action. That make, it's so much easier to do it that way. He said the goal of a parent should be to bring our children to a place of learning how to discipline themselves. Not, not many people think about that, but a, a parent has the power, if he'll do it right, to teach your children to discipline themselves. Okay, number four, don't be afraid to show lots of genuine love for the children. We need to listen to them. Yeah, and I don't mean just listen to them while we're busy doing a thousand other things. It's nice when a parent will actually sit down and listen to that child and give them undivided attention. Uh, I, I think it's so sweet. I've noticed some parents, and they'll affectionately touch their child, maybe pat them on the arm when they pass by. Uh, they need to make the home a place of safety and support. Now, but one of the best ways to dedicate our children to the Lord and to ensure their spiritual safety, no matter how old they are, is to write a covenant. I can't think of anything else that can be a bigger help than that. Now, God doesn't need that covenant. He knows what His promises are. But there's nothing that will release the faith in a parent more than writing out those scriptural promises and then every day reading that covenant out loud to release for the parent to release his faith to God and uh, to, br to bring it about. So this is one of the best ways to appropriate the promises. Now, Psalm 91, of course, is a protection covenant that covers every evil known to man. Uh, you know, I, I felt like God impressed me to quote it every day over my children and grandchildren. And there's been times where the day would be busy and I'd fall in bed that night and I'd remember I haven't confessed my Psalm 91 covenant and I'd make myself get up and do it. I can remember the first time that I saw Psalm 91. My first thought was, there's no way that I can believe to be protected from every evil known to man. I just thought, God, <laughs> I can't believe that. But you know what? God immediately took me to Romans 3.3. I love that scripture. It says, if some do not believe, will that nullify my promises and my faithfulness? And then it goes on to say, may it never be because I'm going to be found true, though every man be found a liar. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, but you will be justified by what you say and what you believe. So it doesn't matter if other people don't believe it. It doesn't even matter if it appears not to be working at times, because there's going to be times you're going to be quoting it and you're going to say, it's not working. <laughs> I don't see this happening. But God tells us that, it, that we will be justified by our words, what we say and what we believe. But sometimes we've got to say it and we've got to believe it for a while. We've got to come to a place where we make a decision that we're not going to doubt and we're not going to negate the promises of God, even if we're the only person we know who's believing God's promises. We're going to have to refuse to let those doubts and those fears come in. And I know parents who are standing and believing the word for their children, you know, something bad will happen and they'll just think, oh. and a lot of times we have to encourage, parent has to encourage other parents, you know, hey, don't give up, keep standing, it's going to work. If it's God's word, then it's true because God cannot lie. Okay, I'm going to end by reading an example of a covenant. And you can confess any covenant you desire if it's based on God's promises. 
and it doesn't have to be this long. Uh, I'm just wanting to give us an idea of how many, many promises God has made of which we may be failing to take advantage. We need to remind ourselves. So see, this covenant is just as an example. But Father, according to Matthew 18, 19, you said that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, believing, it will be done for us. We give our children and name them. We give our children to you. We ask you to guard and keep them in the way that they should go, according to 2 Timothy uh, 1.12. So remember that your covenant has to be based on God's word all the way through it. We're trusting you to help us teach them to love and cherish your word. Thank you that they are not of this world, according to John 17. I thank you, Lord, that they have friends and dates. I thank you that they have good, clean, fun entertainment. Believe for those things. You know, you might not be in a place where... uh, where there's a lot of good entertainment, okay, start praying, start believing God to to bring it in. Thank you for making them the head, not the tail, above only and not beneath, Deuteronomy 28, 13. Thank you, Lord, that they're redeemed from the curse of the law, according to Galatians 3, 13. They're redeemed from captivity. They're redeemed from rebellion. They're redeemed from disobedience. Thank you that they are your disciples taught of you, obedient to word with a teachable spirit that's open only to your truth, and they enjoy undisturbed peace. I love that, Isaiah 54, verse 13. And the more we say it, the more it begins to come alive on the inside of us. We might not be seeing it at that time, but don't quit. Keep saying it. And God comes behind then and starts bringing it to pass. I thank you, Lord, that they love you with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, and they love others as they love themselves. Mark 12, 30 and 31. Thank you, Lord, that they're coming to know Jesus better every day. Confess that. I thank you that the fruit of the Spirit's being formed in them, uh, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So, you know, name it out. Lord, I thank you that they're filled with your love. They're filled with industry indescribable joy. They're filled with a peace that passes human understanding. Confess those things over your children. They're kind. They're considerate of the needs of others. They're patient. They're faithful to you, Lord, and they're gentle and they're self-disciplined. Okay, those fruit of the Spirit, you want that in your children. According to 2 Timothy 1.7, Lord, you've not given them a spirit of fear, but you've given them power and love and a sound mind. They're truthful, and they have favor with their teachers. They have favor with their peers. I've seen the time where kids weren't getting along with their peers. They weren't getting along with their teachers, and parents will start confessing this, and they start seeing a change. They have favor with everyone with whom they come in contact. They trust in you, Lord, and they will not lean to their own understanding, Proverbs 3 and 5. Your word is a light that guides them, Psalm 119, Psalm uh, 105. Thank you, Lord, for protecting them from all temptations. Okay, we need to be confessing that God's going to protect them. From the, let that be a part of our covenant. Thank you that you're delivering them, Lord, from all evil, according to Matthew 6, verse 13. According to Psalm 91, no evil will befall them, nor will any plague or calamity even come near them. There's a lot of mess in this world now, and we need to be confessing that protection over them. They're not going to fear the terror, the arrows, the pestilence, the cancer, and all the diseases. They're not going to fear destruction, the natural disasters. There's no walls or communication barriers, and they're totally uninhibited and free to worship you, Lord. You may not be seeing it uh, uh, yet, but keep confessing it. We thank you that you are preparing mates for our children. Our sons and our sons-in-law will love you with all their heart, and each will love his wife as he loves his own flesh. They're going to each be the priest and head of his home. They're going to be perfect husbands and fathers teaching their children the word and able to hear and recognize your voice, Lord. Confess that over your, your boys. They're not going to be lazy, and you don't want to just confess this over your sons. You want this over your sons-in-laws as well. Thank you for providing good jobs that they enjoy. 
Thank you for placing a desire within them to spend time with their family. Thank you that they are faithful to take their family to church to worship and learn more about you. Thank you that our daughters and our daughters-in-law will be submissive and each will love and reverence her husband. They'll be perfect wives and mothers and good homemakers. They'll have a calm, quiet spirit and they'll be word and spirit filled thoughtful, sensitive, and considerate. They're going to enjoy good communication with their mate. They will have saved themselves for their mate, and they'll have no unclean habits. They'll be good prayer warriors, faithful helpmates. All of our children and their mates will spend quality time with their children. They'll be cheerful, generous givers. They will have a beautiful, fulfilling love life with their mate. They'll walk in your prosperity and in your deliverance from the assignments of the enemy. And Jesus will reign in their home as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. See, your covenant doesn't have to be anywhere that long, but this is just an example of some of the many promises that God's made available for which He expects us to take advantage. I mean, these are promises. We might as well take advantage of them. He's made these promises, but it's up to us to put them into practice. So begin thanking God daily that these prom- for these promises in order to keep them in the forefront of your heart and mind. You know, sometimes if we're not confessing them, we forget to stand in belief for that. Now, the formula in God's Word is that you can receive whatever of His promises that you say with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's amazing to me to think when I find a promise in God's Word, that's all I have to do. I just have to believe it and say it. We don't have to fear what we see coming on the earth. We don't have to be conformed to the world's way of thinking. God has a covenant promise that will cover anything that the enemy could try to do to us. Now, when the world says we can never know what might happen to our children or what they might do, don't buy that. Don't buy that. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it shall be given. Are we asking for these things? And if we're not, why? Why are we not asking? These are promises from the God of the universe. And as we receive these promises, it literally becomes life and blessing for the entire family. But it is easy to negate these promises by getting into fear. Fear is probably the one thing we have to fight the most. And that fear comes because of what we're seeing. And Bible says, don't go by sight. And when we see these things many times, it'll cause us to doubt the word. And we have to realize that that too is a choice. When we choose to doubt the word, that's a choice. My Father, I thank you. I thank you for every single person that's here. I thank you for every person who's going to be hearing and reading this covenant, and I pray that these promises will begin to come alive and that they will appropriate them not only for themselves but for their entire family. Lord, I thank you that starting in our own family, we're going to win our world for you. In Jesus' name, amen.